0: A very good morning to each and every one of you. And I bring you greetings from my family and friends in Sri Lanka. And it's lovely to be here with you all once again. The last few times that uh, I've been speaking uh, to you, we've been going through the life of David. And I thought that we will continue on that subject this morning. And I picked a portion from 1 Chronicles, chapter 17, the first eight verses. And I would ask Dean whether he could please read that for us.
1: First Chronicles chapter 17, beginning at verse 1, New King James, or excuse me, King James Version. Now it came to pass as David sat in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, "Lo, I dwell in the the house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains." Then Nathan said unto David, Do all that is in thine heart, for God is with thee. And it came to pass the same night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell David my servant, Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not build me an house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel unto this day, but I have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wheresoever I have walked with all Israel, I spake a word to any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people, saying, Why have ye not built me a house of cedars? Now therefore thus shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, even from following the sheep, that thou shouldest be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with thee, whithersoever thou hast walked, and have cut off all thine enemies from before thee, and have made thee a name like the name of the great men that are on the earth. May God bless the reading of his word. In this chapter, we notice
0: in the first couple of verses that uh, David expresses his desire to build A permanent structure uh, for the house of God. And then from verses 3 onwards, we see God's intervention and he tells David two very important things. First, that David would not build a temple, but that his son would do so. And then, secondly, God promises David that he would build a dynasty uh, for David. You see, uh, clearly to have a dynasty after himself was a far greater honor than to actually build the house. And, uh, God goes on to explain this, uh, to David. Now, uh, I would also like to point out that, uh, in this chapter we see, uh, the kindness of God. Uh, the kindness of God is something that all of us experience in our life in various ways. And uh, I would like us to see uh, today how David experienced God's kindness. He gave David this wonderful promise that would more than compensate for this crushing disappointment that he would have, that he would not be able to realize his dreams, that he would not be able to build a temple. And God gave him Uh, something to compensate for this, just like he does in our lives. This is typical of God. Remember, Joseph, he spent many years uh, working for other people. He was imprisoned, and that uh, what God did was, to compensate, he gave him a dream that one day uh, he would be uh, looking after a great many people. In Egypt. Remember John, he was most distressed when he was on the Isle of Patmos, imprisoned. But how did God compensate him? He gave him the revelation of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was privileged to be the one to receive it. So God's dealings with his people are so very gracious, the way he deals with all of us. And also, I would like us to notice today that it is worth noting how David reacted to this crushing disappointment that was brought upon his life. And we can learn some lessons of how we also should react when disappointing things are told to us. Uh, In fact, the remainder of this book, if you were to carefully study it, you will notice that here is a man who using everything in his power to enable God's project to go ahead to build the temple, even though he was given this disappointing news, he did not allow it to affect him. Even though the building of the house of God will not become a reality during his lifetime, it had been his dream, he didn't let it affect him. And you too, will also suffer various disappointments in your life. But it's how you handle it and how you carry yourself that counts. And then also, uh, I would like you to notice the support that he gave to his son Solomon. Uh, The temple will be forever known as Solomon's Temple. David wouldn't be really associated with it. But he went ahead and did all the preparatory work, preparing the materials, uh, motivating the people, all this that he did. You know, in the New Testament, there is an example that we can see with Salome. On one occasion, she spoke to the Lord Jesus about her sons. She was trying to get a special place for them uh, from the Lord Jesus. But even though she did not get a positive answer out of the Lord Jesus, I noticed that it did not bring her down in her Christian life. What happened? I noticed that she was part of the loyal group of women that was at the cross and also at the tomb. She did not allow the disappointment that she felt to hinder her from her worship and service for God. And let us also be uh, like that. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to go down these eight verses, and then we'll pick little things here and there, and we'll try and get some lessons out of that. Usually, uh, when I speak with you, I always ask a question. And today, our question is coming right at the start here, at the beginning of verse 1. And uh, if you know your, this answer, you can raise your hand up. In Old Testament times, how many people uh, wrote biographies of David? And can you tell me what their names are? Who wrote biographies of David? And can you tell me the names of those who wrote about him? Okay, well, we encounter one of the people here in this very first verse. Uh, and it's Nathan the prophet. He is one who wrote about David. And the others, uh, we can find this answer in 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 29. Uh, These are the people who wrote biographies of David. Now, the acts of David the king, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of Samuel the seer, in the book of Nathan the prophet, and in the book of Gad the seer. Now, I bring you this point because I would like you to compare David, who was one of the great men of that time, you know, um, you could say that, um, like, you know, the great Middle Eastern uh, kings, uh, you know, he was somebody who was, uh, he dominated the Middle East of his day. But only three volumes were written about his life by these three men. And I was thinking that if you contrast David with the Lord Jesus, a huge amount has been written about the Lord Jesus, and we cannot compare them both. You see, the most illustrious people on earth pale into insignificance when they are compared with the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 21 and verse 25 tells us this. This is the last verse in the Gospel of John, and this is what it says. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. However great kings and men there have been in this world, Keep it in your mind even when we look through a great man like David's life. They all pale into insignificance when compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go to verse 1. And here, uh, Nathan, the prophet, is mentioned. And he is mentioned in several incidents in David's life. He's a very important figure. For example... He was the one who confronted David with his guilt in that sordid affair with Bathsheba. Thou art the man, Nathan the prophet told David. And then Nathan was also used by the Lord to confer an alternate name on Solomon, Jedidiah, beloved of the Lord, he told him. And then he was also Nathan the prophet was also a key figure in thwarting Adonijah's rebellion. And he was also the key figure when Solomon was appointed as king. But even though he was a prophet, a man of God, on this occasion, in these first couple of verses, we notice that even this man of God, he did something rash. But he was big enough to rectify his mistakes. Now we also do rash things, we also make mistakes in our life. If Nathan could make a mistake, well we can also make mistakes. And so uh, I want you to notice here in verse 1, it tells us that David was sitting in his house. Now already uh, in the previous uh, chapter 14, we have been told that David was had a magnificent house that was built of cedar wood, a magnificent palace. And I want you to notice that creditably David did not regard this house as just his own for his personal use or his exclusive use because Nathan was there in his house as a guest. This is a lesson for us in using our home as a hospitality. Uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ and for God's work. But more importantly, I want you to notice this, that having Nathan in his home is an indication that David enjoyed the company of the right kind of people. You see, David said this in Psalm 119 and verse 63. He said, I am a companion of all them that fear thee. Those are his friends. Who are your friends? Who are the people that you associate closely with? Whom do you spend your time with? Whom do you bond with? Are they people who fear God and keep his precepts? Those are the kind of people that you must be mixing with. Don't mix with friends who are out for a good time or will give you the wrong advice and lead you astray, friends who are not close to God, one of the ways of knowing it is that when you spend time with them, is the Lord the center of the conversation? If not, you're mixing with the wrong kind of friends. David was here, seated in his home, and Nathan was there. I am a companion of all them that fear thee. Let that also be our experience. And then uh, I would also like you to notice that, um, actually before that, uh, David had a son. His name was Ammon. And he did not have discernment like his father because he had friends that eventually led him astray and resulted in his downfall. You see, the Bible says, evil company doth corrupt good manners. So it's very important that even though David, within his own family, he could see people keeping the wrong company, that he kept the good company. And then I want you to notice next that even though David was seated in his home, uh this palatial home made out of cedar wood, the best wood in the Middle East, that he was thinking and worrying about God's house. It says here, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. He was thinking, he was not satisfied with what was God's portion. Isn't that something wonderful that we also should be thinking of how we can improve uh, God's house and God's work. David was sitting in his house thinking, uh, having a dream, a vision of how he could do things for God. And then he Nathan seems to read his thoughts and assume that the king's ambition was a noble abjection because he quickly gives him the go-ahead. It says there in verse 2, Nathan said unto David, do all that is in thine heart. Now, it sounded good because God was with David. You see there it says, God is with thee. Now, just because God is with you doesn't give you the right to go ahead and do things without consulting God or inquiring of God. And then also, uh, it is true that God was with David. And also we see that he was regarded as god's servant uh, in fact in verse 4 uh, he said go and tell david my servant and then in verse 7 uh, now therefore thou shalt shalt thou say unto my servant david so even though david was known as god's servant this did not give him the right to go ahead and build the house of god being god's servant being having God with him. Both these things didn't give him the permission. What gives him the permission to do it? You see, it is very important that in God's service that we always inquire of God. Over and over again in the Bible and the previous chapters, you will see, and they inquired of God, and they inquired of God. Here, do you notice that Nathan the prophet never inquired of God. He immediately said unto David, it says here in verse 2, make sure that you don't do anything. Make any decisions in your life without first inquiring of God and getting his blessings. One of the ways you could get God's blessings is when you pray, read the Bible, meditate on it. You ask your elders and they will also confirm uh, what God is speaking to you. You know you, you have inquired before you did it. On this occasion, no inquiry was made. And then I want you to also notice that Nathan says here, Do all that is in thine heart. You see, it is so important that we seek God's uh, mind in prayer before taking any action. I remember this example of um, Samuel. When he was going to select um, from uh, Jesse's sons, when he came up to the first son, he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He looked at him and his stature and he, it pleased him. And so he thought that this was the one. But it wasn't God's choice. It wasn't God's choice. And you see, uh, uh, even though the elder brother was, uh, there was some resentment later on in the chapter, happily he didn't hold him back because later on he became one of the uh, main people who was helping David to govern the land. But it's very important that we always put God, give him for the first place in any choices we make in our life if we want things to progress well. Well. And then I want you to notice that next, verse 3. So Nathan goes ahead and tells David, go ahead and build uh, what is in your heart without God's uh, approval. And in verse 3, and it came to pass the same night that the word of God came to Nathan. You see, he'd made a mistake. But God, in his great mercy did not allow that mistake to fester. God is so kind in his dealings with us. What did he do? The same night. He didn't allow a great big gap of time to go by before correcting the mistake. That same night, he corrected it. That's how God is in his dealings with us. He did not allow David's expectations to be heightened before that Uh, They were dashed. He did not wait until plans for the project had taken hold in his mind before he uprooted them. He moved immediately to limit Nathan's damage of his misjudgment. There is another occasion in the Bible where uh, I notice that God acted in the same night to strengthen a dear man of God. And this is what he does for us as well. And that man was Gideon. In Judges chapter 7 and uh, verse 9, uh, you see what had happened is that Gideon's uh, group had been brought down to 300 men. And there was some doubt in Gideon's mind. With only 300, can I win this battle? Any of us would doubt. And what God did was he was so gracious He allowed him to go close to the enemy and hear what they were talking and it strengthened Gideon. And so Gideon knew that he was going to have the victory. And how did God do it? He didn't allow this thing to fester in Gideon's mind that with 300 I can win. I can't win. Because it says, and it came to pass that same night. God was so gracious in his dealings with Gideon. He is the same with us. He will not allow us to suffer more than we can bear. In fact, in verse 15 of Judges chapter 7, uh, when Gideon went and he saw God's plan and that they could have victory, what did he do? It tells us that he worshipped. When we see God moving in our lives, when we give him the first place and we see how he works things out for us, we will also be moved to worship. We will also be moved to give God the first place in our lives. Okay, let's go back to our text. And uh, it tells us in verse uh, 4 that, uh, go and tell my servant David that thou shalt not build me a house. And uh, that was a very hard thing for David to hear. Thou shalt not build me a house. He must have been um, so excited. You know, sometimes when we think of something, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, uh, excitement takes hold of us instantly, isn't it? Sometimes we come up with a business idea. And before even 24 hours has gone by, we've calculated how we are going to spend the money we are going to make. You know, how excitement takes hold of you, you see, and David would have been visioning this great temple and all the people milling around in the courtyard and he could virtually smell the sights and sounds, but before he could dream too much, God said, thou shalt not build me a house. This is how God deals with his people. You see, um, David never forgot this instruction that God gave to him. Right through the end of his days, even when he was an old man, he remembered the day that God told him this news. It was like a crushing disappointment for him. And sometimes that happens to us as well. There are incidents in our life that we never forget. In uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 8, David is an old man just before he's going to die. And he says here, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly. Thou hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build me a house. He's remembering now, many years later. And then also in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 3, right before a chapter or two, before he passes away, Thou shalt not build me a house. That's what God said unto me. He remembered. You see, here's the point I would like you to remember. This incident was never erased from his mind, but God gave him grace to live with the memory of the disappointment and rise above it. And he does that for us as well. Sometimes the answer is a no. But he will give you the grace to rise up above that disappointment and live with it. Joseph, you know, in the Old Testament, in Genesis, he suffered greatly at the hand of his brothers. And what he did was to try to forget about it. When his first son came along, he named his first son, Genesis 41-51, he named his first son Manasseh, Joseph did. For God said, he hath made me forget all my toil. Manasa means to forget. He thought, that's it. I can forget all these terrible things that happened to me. But you know what? A few verses later, he bumped into his brothers all over again, and it all came flooding back into his memory. That is how God deals with us. He, his ways are past finding out, but if we allow Him to control, if we allow Him to direct our lives, He will bring us to a place where we can cope, we can handle all the things that comes our way. Then, in verses uh, 5 and 6, uh, we notice that uh, God um, Protest that in all his dealings with Israel, he never made a request for a house of cedar. Okay, it's David that is wanting to build this grand palace for God. God had never wanted an elaborate structure, a temple. And he's encouraging David here when he says, uh, They have gone from tent to tent. I do not need. Something like this. And then uh, he goes on to say that he is not, God is not confined to one place. It's just not in the temple only that God resides. It's very important for us to know this that his omnipresence allows him to be anywhere, not just in one location. Wherever we are, Whether we are at work, whether we are at school, whether we are in the darkest place of our life or in a good place in our life, God is always present. This was something that they learned way back then, that he was just not residing in the temple only or going from one tabernacle to another. Wherever you are, God's presence is always with you. And then I also want you to notice there are some phrases here that... Uh, are of some interest. Um, One of the phrases I would like you to notice is, brought up Israel in verse five. And then I will also like you to notice in verse six, I have walked with all Israel. And then uh, also in verse six, judges of Israel. Brought up Israel, walked with Israel, and judges of Israel brought up israel is drought is a reference to their coming up of slavery in egypt you see in the historical books constantly there are allusions to this great event and it ought to have regulated the people's relationship with god when they remember how he brought them out of slavery he likes that they should know this and similarly the memory of Christ, our Passover, uh, we heard this morning. This should be a powerful reminder for us that it should purge out all the leaven, all the sin out of our life when we think of what God has done for us, the Lord Jesus has done for us, and his great sacrifice for us. And then also uh, this other phrase, walked with all Israel, it was a reminder that he was a constant presence with them in their journey wherever you go in your life once you have committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ he will be with you during your life's journey and if you haven't committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ yet I urge you to do so because if you do so you will find that just like he was with all Israel. He will walk with you. He will be your guide. He will be your shepherd. He will take you through all the uncertain, unknown roads of your life. And then I also uh, want you to notice that if you are going to be walking with God, it is very important that you lead a life that is pleasing to Him If you commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's very important that it's a two-way thing. You can't just hand your life over to him and not continue to do the things that are expected of you. For example, one of the things that is required from you is holy living. Holy living. In Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 14, this is what it tells us. For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp to deliver thee and to give up thine enemy before thee. Therefore shall thy camp be holy and he see no unclean thing. If he is going to walk, as it says there, walk with you, walk with Israel, you have to be holy. After all, can two walk together unless they agree? No if you want God to walk with you and guide you by your life's journey, well, you need to be practicing holy living. Holiness has got to be in your camp. Then only you can experience God's blessing. It makes sense, doesn't it? You can't expect him to fulfill his part of the bargain and you don't do your bit. Holiness was expected in Israel's camp if God was going to deliver them from victory to victory. And then happy is the people that will walk with God, who allow God to lead them. Uh, Walking with God and enjoying his presence, it demands acceptance of his terms for the journey. You can't impose your terms, God, I will go and do this with my life, I'll go do that with my life, but when I'm in trouble, I need you. No, no. it doesn't work that way. And then also, uh, the third phrase that I wanted you to notice judges of Israel. And this relates to the responsibility to feed my people. And you know, sometimes uh, we tend to forget that God has appointed those to shepherd our life, to advise, to counsel us. In modern times, uh, in a church, God has appointed elders and leaders to guide you. And just like there were judges in Israel to guide the people, these are your shepherds and guides for this day. It's important that you listen to their advice, that you submit to them, and if you follow their guidance and counsel, your life will only be the better for it. And then I want you to notice next the last couple of verses, verses 7 and 8, and these two verses contain a synopsis of God's dealings with David. Uh, Verse 8 tells us how the Lord of, uh, sorry, verse 7, my apologies. Uh, Verse 7 says, How the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep even from following the sheep, that thou should rule over my people Israel. It's interesting here in this verse that the Lord is referred to as the Lord of hosts. Now, hosts refers to a great number of people under him, a huge army under him. And out of this huge army of people under him, he selected David one. Wow. If you read Genesis, you will see a great number of people written about in the early chapters there. and out of all those people, God selected Abraham. You see, God is sovereign, and he can select whoever he wants. He is never under obligation to explain who he selects or why. But on this occasion, God had chosen David. You see, caring for a sheep, caring for sheep is a very humble occupation. But yet it is a very responsible task. As with Joseph and Moses, this was the training ground for these men because in future they were going to have a great responsibility of looking after God's flock. And David was one of those who was entitled, uh, entrusted with this task of looking after sheep. One of his brothers, Eliab, he disdainfully uh, referred to David's job of looking after, and he said this in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 28, he said, those few sheep in the wilderness, those few sheep in the wilderness. He didn't think that this job that David was doing amounted to much. But David, he took this job very seriously because in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 34, he said, he referred to himself like this, he said, thy servant kept his father's sheep. He was taking his job seriously. It's his father's sheep, and this servant was looking after that sheep. You see, reliably looking after someone else's sheep equipped him for looking after someone else's people. Amen. Sometimes God will not give you a great big job of leading the you know, country or the people or something like that. It may be only a small task. But on this occasion here, looking after someone else's sheep, it equipped him with everything that he needed for looking after someone else's people. And do not, whatever task that is given to you, or God has directed you to do, do not belittle it, do not turn your nose at it, but you do it heartily as unto God. Because this is a training ground for you. And when you do these tasks that you may think, or like others may think, these few sheep, or this hardly any work, if you do it well, God will raise you up at the right time. And then I want you also to notice that in verse 8... God now assures David, I have been with thee, he says uh, at the beginning of verse 8. You see, from the day that David had been in this, looking after these sheep, uh, God's presence had been a reality in his life. When you commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, we heard this morning about repentance towards God, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you take that step, and you put your hand, your life into the hands of God, immediately there comes a change. And you will be able to uh, take hold of a promise like Hebrews 13 and verse 5, where it tells, for he said, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. Hebrews 13 And verse 5, David's experience was similar. God never left him or forsook him. If you also were to take that step of faith and put your life into the hands of God, you will never regret it. You see, um, when David went into the valley and when he was facing up to the giant... And then, God was with him. And then God was with him when he was in King Saul's royal court. You know all the incidents that happen in King Saul's court. And then God was with him in his days as an outlaw. And then you remember hiding in the wilderness, hiding in the woods. God was with David. And then uh, you remember his days of exile in the land of the Philistines, and then latterly, his kingship in Hebron, and then in Jerusalem. Oh, his life was a um, huge mix of experiences, but through it all, God was with him. And our lives are like that, isn't it? We We go through various chapters in our lives, our younger days, our college days, and then In our 20s, then married life, then children come along, and then retirement, and then all the illnesses come along, and all these things. (laughs) So much experience we go through. And it's a wonderful thing when the presence of God is with you to guide you through all that life brings along. David was able to experience it. It will be a wonderful thing if you could experience that in your life as well. And then I want you to remember that whatever situation that you are going through in your life, you can always call upon God. He will come and be with you. But don't forget the responsibility on your part, holy living. Yes. Don't just expect that you know, he will do everything for you and that nothing for you to do. No, you know, we have to do our bit as well. And then notice also in verse 8, it says, God had said to David that he will cut off all his enemies. Remember his preservation from Saul. Remember victory over the Philistines. All these things were dependent on God being on his side. It was the Lord that gave David victory, whithersoever he went. Was it David's military might? No, it was God that was guiding him and directing him. Thanks be to God for giving us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. We don't have any victory on, you know, out of our great skill or um, our greatness. You know, Satan is always trying to put this thought. Uh, you know, we are great and we are good and we know what we can do and we don't need any help. And you have to constantly battle that thought and remove it from your mind. And then, uh, notice that in this same verse here, it says that I have made thee a name like the name of the great men that are in the earth. Now, since the beginning of mankind, man wants to make a name for himself. Isn't that right? We all... You know, it, all this thought comes into our minds, isn't it? There's is some greatness attached to us, even though there is we are nothing. But Satan puts those thoughts, you know. Uh, who can tell me the first occasion in history where man wanted to make a name for themselves? Very good, Dean. Uh, in fact, we'll take a quick look at that. 1 Chronicles chapter 14. And verse 17. Sorry, before that, uh, can we go to Genesis 11 and verse 4? Genesis 11, verse 4. And they said, go, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And here's the key words. And let us make us a name. Let us make us a name. Man decided at the very start of the history of the world that they want to make a name for themselves. Even today, it's the same thing. Everybody trying to get ahead, they're willing to trample others and crush others, all to make a name for themselves. Hasn't changed in thousands of years. And God is promising David that I will make a name for you. You don't have to do anything. I will do it for you. What man wants, I will give it to you. Okay, and so 1 Chronicles 14, 17, we can look at that now. And, <clears throat> and the fame of David went out to all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all the nations. And so David's name was known across the entire lands, you see. But did David do it? No. It was the Lord that did it. You see, um, at the Tower of Babel, man decided to make a name for himself, but God brought language and confused them, and their plans were brought down. But if you were to give God first place in your life like David did, you can also experience the same blessings that God gave him in your life. Because it is God is the one who raiseth up people and he brings down other people. There is nothing of our own greatness or might or wisdom that we have that can help us to achieve these things. In fact, if you look at Luke chapter... uh, 14 and verse 11, it tells us that whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. That's how God works. If you try to lift yourself up, you will be brought down. But if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. That's how it works in God's... In fact, uh, uh, David He followed these principles. If you look uh, at his early life, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 18, he said, Who am I? Who am I? David esteemed himself low, not somebody of any great um, stature or coming from some royal line or anything like that. No. Who am I? That is the kind of attitude That we need. In fact, again, uh, in 1 Samuel 18 and verse 23, uh, David said this, "Mm, I am a poor man and lightly esteemed. I am a poor man and lightly esteemed. I am showing you here the secret to how David had his name lifted up. Because he took himself lightly. In his mind, he didn't give himself any importance. He esteemed himself low, poor. He made himself of no reputation. And if we also adopt this same principle, God will notice this, and he will bring us to the fore at the right time. The final verse I'll bring to you today, Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. This is what it says. For promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. Let us apply these principles in our life and we will also experience victory in our life just like David experienced. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for this opportunity to look into the Scriptures. Our Father, we thank Thee for the life of uh, men and women gone by, that we can look into their lives and learn lessons from them for our own lives. Our Father, we thank Thee that Scripture has been given for us to study and learn. And we pray, Our Father, that each of us would be challenged and encouraged to give God the first place, holy living, To keep ourselves pure, put God first and experience the blessings and great mercy that Thou bestows on such people. Commit ourselves all to Thee, part us now with Thy blessings. We ask this in the precious and worthy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.